Hi, this is Dr. Steve Vargo. I am the Optometric Practice Management Consultant with IDOC, and this is the latest edition of the IDOC Focal Point Podcast. And I'm really excited tonight to be talking with three esteemed colleagues about a topic that's, that's gaining traction and, and, and popularity in the eye care space, and that would be myopia management. So I have with me Dr. Rob Garowitz, Dr. Matthew Martin, and Dr. Tom Wyshewski. Uh, quick intro on the three, Dr. Garowitz practices actually just outside my hometown of Chicago in Palatine, Illinois, and he is a charter member of the American Academy of Orthokeratology and Myopia Control, and he was one of their first fellows. Dr. Martin practices in Michigan and specializes in pediatric eye care and myopia management. Uh, he's also a fellow of the American Academy of Orthokeratology and Myopia Control, and Dr. Wyshewski, likewise, is a, is a fellow of the American Academy of, of Ortho-K and Myopia Control, and he's also served on the Academy's board of directors for 10 years, and he has been the co-host and lecturer at the Vision by Design Conference, as well as the host of the Ortho-K podcast. So um, all three are fellows of the American Academy of, uh, of orthokeratology and myopia control, and all three are actually former board members as well. So thank you, gentlemen, for taking some time tonight to share your expertise. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so maybe Rob, we'll jump in with you. Uh, Rob, if you could tell us just a little bit about the the organization uh, Mission Myopia Management. What is that, and, and how did that get started? Well, about uh, two years ago, I was going around the country working with ODs who had been to major meetings to learn myopia management, but hadn't really incorporated the specialty into their practice. And I would take a day to go into their practice, and after meeting with the staff and doctors, and we'd talk about general theory behind myopia management, we'd review with the additional office organization required to add this new treatment in, and go over an internal and external marketing we'd end up the day with using some of their pre-selected patients and doing fittings and ortho-K designs and setting them up for programs. The last training session I did was at Tom Arnold's office. And Tom is world known worldwide as a scleral lens guru. And so I was interested in his opinion to how the day at his office went. And he said it was great, but he would have liked more. And that's where he left it and I left for the airport. And as I'm flying home, I'm thinking, how could I do more? And I realized I couldn't do it by myself. And I started to think about who I would like to work with to expand this training and who would compliment me and what I had already put together. And the two docs I thought of, and I've known for almost 20 years, are Tom and Matthew. But at the time, I wasn't sure how to make this collaboration work. The very next day, I got a call from Matthew, and he said that he and Tom wanted to put something together with me in this space. Now, when the universe sends up a giant neon sign like that, you better pay attention. And with three months, we had what we now call Mission Myopia Management in, in its place and up and running. Perfect. Um, so, Tom, it, as doctors, and I know this is something a uh, that we focus on a lot at, at IDOC is, is in terms of differentiating your practice and obviously specialization is taking a bigger role in, in a lot of practices. 
As doctors look to do that, as they look to specialize and differentiate themselves in, in a competitive industry, why is myopia management important? That's a great question, Steve. And for me, it's probably the central question. And I also think it's the one that many of our colleagues struggle with. If you've been out of school for a number of years, uh, it's all likely that you were taught that there were two forms of myopia, physiological myopia, which was distinctly different from pathological myopia. And while 20 years ago we may have believed that, we now know that that is not true. There is no safe level of myopia. All myopia is pathological. And I get it when some colleagues may take some issue with that statement because they're looking historically thinking, well, what's the big deal about myopia? You know, I've treated myopes my whole career. And if the child is a minus two this year and he's a minus 275 next year, and then maybe a minus 350 the year after that, so what? We can just increase his RX. We can get him to see. Well, I don't think you can look at myopia today with the same eyes we did 20 years ago. And the reason for that is really simple. Myopia around the globe has exploded. It has reached epidemic proportions. It's more than doubled around the globe. And if you look at certain populations, let's say in industrialized nations in Asia, uh, in some of the more, the larger urban centers like Tokyo or Seoul or Beijing or um, um, Singapore, you're going to see that kids are reaching myopia levels in, in excess of 98% by the time they're 18 years of age. The problem is that, you know, we look around and we see kids staring at their, their tablets and their telephones, their cell phones, look all working on digital screens. I mean, even children under the age of a year and a half have their own tablets. Pediatric eyeballs were never meant to do that. So that's what's really probably the biggest single factor that is pushing people towards myopia, that and the decrease in outdoor time. And because myopia is occurring in younger and younger children, their myopic progression seems to be a lot more, their myopic progression just seems to be much more rapid and much more aggressive. And these are the kids that are going on to become those high myopes. Now, traditionally, we think of myopia as being associated with retinal tears and retinal detachments in those high myopes. But there, there's a lot more to it than that. The other comorbidities would be the association with PSC, sub, um, posterior subcapsular cataracts. And we know that even in mild to moderate myopes, those minus two to minus four, you're going to be three times more likely to develop PSCs. Those rates increase as the myopia increases. For glaucoma, if you're greater than minus three, you're two and a half times more likely to develop glaucoma. Myopic maculopathy, which we don't really use that term a lot. Uh, I guess historically we would have called that pathologic myopia. But we know that under minus five, it's relatively rare. It's the prevalence is less than a half a percent. But if you get between a minus five and a minus nine, 25% prevalence. Above minus nine, 
is greater than 50% prevalence. And these are things that are site-threatening. There is no treatment for myopic maculopathy. If we start talking about retinal tears and retinal detachments above minus nine, you're up to 350 times more likely to develop a retinal detachment. So there are those comorbidities that I don't think we tend to really look at as seriously as we need to, um, because historically those things have been relatively low. But even in the United States with the rates of myopia have more than doubled in the last 20 years. So we're going to see a lot more kids going into adulthood, becoming those high myopes, and developing these comorbidities. And I think that's the problem. That's why I see it as being so important. Tom, as, as a quick follow-up, do you see perceptions changing? So the four of us in the industry can have these conversations and understand the uh, significance of it. But in my opinion, a lot of what drives the, you know, the years ahead in terms of myopia management is the public perception of it. Are you starting to see shifts in how the, the average person, the patient is perceiving myopia as I think for, you know, forever, we've looked at our vision as our fate, you know, oh, I've got bad vision and it's just, there's nothing I could do about, I couldn't impact that. Are you starting to see that perception change more awareness around options? And even with doctors who have, you know, in, in regionally, some areas, doctors are much more, um, it's, they've embraced it. It's part of the standard of care, but that's not the case everywhere. Are you starting to see more of a widespread, um, embracing of myopia management among doctors? Amongst doctors, it's starting to occur. I mean, if you just think about it for a moment, if we go back five years ago, you'd never see an article about myopia management. And now you can barely open a journal without seeing something about it. So it's starting to make it into, you know, the forefront for the profession, but there's still a lot who just don't quite buy into it just yet. Um, there is, you know, they're looking at myopia management with historical set of eyes and we can't look at it that way. You know, just because you're standing there on the beach and, um, the weather is beautiful. It doesn't mean there's not a tsunami coming. And I think public awareness is really going to be driven by the recent FDA approval for the Cooper Vision MySight bifocal contact lens for myopia control. The, the real important thing there is that this represents the FDA's very first approval of any product or any treatment modality specifically for the control of myopia. And that is going to be a game changer. When you start talking about soft lens companies pumping millions of dollars into ad campaigns and public awareness campaigns, you're going to start seeing the patient, the, the patients clamoring for this and the profession better be there and ready to deliver. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I agree. I'm, I'm starting to see these trends shift. And, um, and, and I agree with the things you're saying. I, I think in years ahead, it's, it's going to be exciting. And I think you are going to see more of a widespread awareness and, and acceptance, acceptance of this uh, as a treatment option. Um, 
Matt, let me switch over to you for a minute. As maybe a doctor starts to uh, consider and explore the idea of myopia management, maybe talk a little bit about what kids, you know, maybe as we talk about identifying a target market, let's say, what kids would you say are most at risk for progressive myopia? Well, Steve, obviously genetics plays a role here. So when we're looking at an Asian subset of your patient population, we know that they're going to be the most likely to develop nearsightedness. The other thing that I key into and that I tell other doctors that they should be looking for are those nearsighted parents. Oftentimes those parents will have professional degrees. In my area, we see engineers, we see chemists, we see people um, with a high degree of myopia in a professional setting. And oftentimes their children are very much right in the line of fire for developing significant myopia for themselves as well. One of the keys with that is we look for children who do a lot of indoor activities, reading, violin, you know, those types of activities uh, versus more outdoor activities. We're always trying to encourage our kids to get outside and studies have shown that that makes a big difference. But in today's society, a lot of times we have children that are spending a vast majority of their time indoors. So in my office, we key into families with, with already signs of nearsightedness. We look for children um, of those families who have a lot of indoor activities um, and I think everyone, everyone who practices eye care and sees children has that child that comes into their office who's a minus one last year and has progressed to a minus 250 this year. That is such a common thing. And for me, 20 years ago, I would just give that child stronger contact lenses and then the next year they would come back with either stronger glasses yet or stronger contact lenses. Nowadays, and frankly for the last 16 years in my office, 17 years, we have been making a stand against that progression and trying to slow that down. Tom, let's go back to you for a second. What would you consider the ideal patients for myopia management? Okay, well, basically anyone who's gonna be myopic, but certainly kids who are interested in maybe doing more with sports, things like ortho K work great for that um, because they'll be free of eyewear throughout the day and they'll just have good vision. Um, certainly anyone with a family history of extreme myopia, anyone with um, an, a family history of retinal pathologies associated with extreme myopia, and I really think that the parents who historically have been interested in this are those whose own personal history or their, their parents' history was significant for high myopia. And they don't want to see their kids end up the same way. Matt, maybe from a, uh, a tactical standpoint, uh, if you could talk a little bit to the or speak to the techniques that are available for myopia management. My pleasure, Steve. So really you've got three main methodologies for attacking the progression of myopia or for myopia management. And those three methodologies are atropine, a pharmacological intervention, 
peripheral defocus contact lenses. And what is the most favorite thing? I think most favorite maybe isn't a good way of putting that. What is the fan favorite in my office, which is orthokeratology? So two of those methods rely on uh, defocusing the periphery uh, of the retina. And one of those is a pharmacological technique. So with atropine, um, we're giving the child low-dose atropine, and that can slow down the progression of nearsightedness. So there have been a number of studies proving that this works, and it works well. It does come with some um, issues, um, brightness for the child, some photophobia. There can be glare issues associated with that as well. Peripheral defocus contact lenses where we have a distant center, um, like the MySight lens that uh, Tom had mentioned earlier. That is another excellent choice for slowing down the progression of myopia. And then orthokeratology or reshaping the cornea wearing an overnight ortho-K mold is another excellent method for controlling the progression of myopia. Matt, I'm gonna, I'll direct this at you, but if anybody else wants to jump in, in the effort of a doctor who's interested in getting into, let's say, specialty contacts, ortho-K, myopia control, Sometimes what I'll hear is that we tried it and we couldn't get the patients on board with it, whether that's from they didn't understand it or they had never heard of it before or price became an issue. How do you take this from uh, something that a doctor might just kind of dabble into something that they can actually make a more impactful part of their practice, which obviously requires the patients to be on board with it as well? And uh, I'm just curious if you have any uh, tips or quick suggestions for how to present this. And I suppose a lot of times you're presenting this to a parent. Um, what have what approaches have you found? And, and Phil, Robert, Tom, if you want to jump in on this, that have been most effective in getting the uh, the patient, and probably more likely in, in the cases of children, the parents on board with this. All right. Let me start off here by saying, and I'm going to give it over to Rob in just a moment. Let me start off by saying that office preparation and staff preparation is, I think, the key to making this successful in the practice. If the groundwork is laid ahead of time, if the staff is aware of the things that are involved, and if the doctor understands the concepts behind myopia control, that makes it much easier to convey that excitement to the patient. I think the patients need to be as excited about this as the doctor is. And I know that Rob has some really great ideas on this, so I'm going to cede the floor to Rob. But I just want you to keep in mind the staff preparation and the excitement, I think, is what patients come into. Thanks, Matthew. I would say that even when you have parents that have studied this online and researched it to the nth degree, and they really want it for their child, the child has to be in agreement with the whole process or you're dead in the water. And so no matter how much they're begging for it, we will not start an ortho-K case until we've done a demo, a wow set uh, preparation for the patient themselves. And then what we do is we get to meet the child. We, we talk about what they do and their hobbies and their sports and why they like glasses and more importantly, why they don't like glasses. And then we take a demo mold 
and we call them molds because every day you remold your cornea. And we place it on the child's eye for 15 minutes and they sit with their eyes closed and have a snack. And during that time, I'm talking to the parents and answering the questions they didn't even know they had. And at the end of 15 minutes, we remove the mold and invariably we always see improvement. And now the patient has the experience to know what it's all about and knowing that theirs will be custom made for them and will feel better and they'll wear them all night instead of 15 minutes, they'll have a better effect. They're gonna know that this would be the right treatment for them. And very rarely does this not result in a successful case. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I like what um, I think it was Matt said about that conveying excitement to the patient. I, I think that's such a big part of it as well. I, t I talk even in terms of, you know, just standard optical work is the, you know, opticians having a, um, you know, to be so much of, I, I'll use the word selling in terms of the, um, on the optical side, but it's a, a transference of feelings. And one thing I notice with doctors that are successful in any kind of specialty is they have a lot of passion. They have a lot of conviction about what they do and they know it helps. And it's just interesting to, to hear that from the three of you. And I, I like the idea of putting a lens on the eye to demonstrate some proof. I, I think a lot of this too is just the fear of the unknown. You're hearing about sleeping all, what did doctors tell you your whole life is take your contacts out at night and it seems to go against everything you've ever been taught is, is to sleep in lenses at night. Uh, so I think there's a natural tendency toward that seems a bit risky, even though my doctor's telling it to me. So that giving them that, that lens that uh, letting them kind of experience it, I, I think it, it builds some proof into it that probably puts people's mind, um, mind at ease. Um, Rob, let me close out with you here. Where can doctors get additional help in this area? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, this coming March, Mission Myopia Management will be hosting its fourth meeting since our inception. And this time it will be in Chicago. Our vendor host is gonna be Contacts Contact Lenses, and they were a pioneer in reverse geometry designs. We like to keep these meetings small so no one gets lost in the crowd. And this allows ideas and questions to flow easily. The night before we have a meet and greet, this time it'll be at Geno's East, Geno's East which uh, I think is the best kind of pizza on the planet. You know what I'm saying, Steve? Steve you won't get an argument from me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day on Sunday, March 8th, we start the day at 7.30 with breakfast in our meeting room. And this is at the Hotel Lincoln in Lincoln Park. Uh, between eight and noon, we'll go over the importance of myopia management, the three and soon to be four methods available to slow pro progression, uh, ortho K design, and more importantly, troubleshooting. And then in the afternoon, we discuss how to get one's staff, office, and patients ready for the techniques that many haven't heard of, and now we wanna do on their kids, for gosh sakes. Um, finally, we're gonna go over internal and external marketing. Uh, every attendee will receive a memory stick that has every form, protocol, patient agreement, pediatrician lunch and learn, and parent education PowerPoint that we use. And these memory sticks have absolutely everything that we employ every day to make myopia management successful in our offices. So if you have anybody in this audience who might be interested, we still have a few seats available. I'd like to encourage them to go to www.mission, 
myopiamanagement.com and register. We, we feel that your audience, their goal is to manage myopia and our goal is to help them manage myopia management. And we call ourselves the implementation company because we will get things moving in the right direction for them. Thanks, Rob. And, and um, well, thanks to all three of you. This has been really insightful. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think we all agree that as the eye care space continues to evolve, that doctors have to continue looking at ways to differentiate their practice and provide services that meet a need, but, but also can't be easily substituted online or through low-cost retailers and myopia management certainly meets that criteria. And I'm really anxious to see the path forward um, as we continue to work with our members on how to uh, differentiate their own practices and, and stand apart and really find their, um, their passion. And we are getting more and more interest in this particular area. So um, I was really looking forward to hearing more about your organization. So, um, Thank you to the three of you for everything you do with Mission Myopia Management to help drive awareness for this specialty. Um, so I'll close out here. That This is Steve Vargo with, once again with iDoc. So thank you for tuning in to this latest edition of the iDoc Focal Point podcast. And we hope to see you at the Connection in Orlando this week. So thank you and, and thank you, uh, gentlemen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve.